It's always good to be able to fellowship together and greet one another and uh, welcome uh, everyone. You you know, I I read a a survey recently that talked about uh, church friendliness. And uh, even though most people would think that that churches are friendly and welcoming, uh, the the community said that uh, only 17% of the people viewed the church as the most friendly place in town. Only, only 17%. And so, you know, it's important, the Bible says, to, to give ourselves to hospitality. And, you know, we, we want to create a culture where people do feel welcome, where people do feel like that uh, they belong to a family, that they, they do feel like that, that they're a part of something that is uh, valuable and, and, and that their part is uh, important as well. And so uh, I want to, again, extend, like Clay said, a, a warm welcome you know, I, I just, I feel overwhelmed in my spirit. I'm excited because I have a good word for you this morning. Anybody looking, for, looking forward to a good word? I really believe I got a good word to, to share with you. But, but to be honest with you, I really, I really just have this deep longing to be with him. I, I, you know, I, I can't, I wish I could camp out and just stay in this kind of state and and feel the way that I feel right now, and you know, I, I, but but I don't always feel that way. But but you know, I, I was sitting here, I was just worshiping the Lord, and I was saying, Lord, I really want to offer worship to you that touches your heart. You know, we can worship and it just be lip service. You know, we can we can make noise and we can be physically present, but be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually absent, and and not necessarily. Uh, engaged in, on a heart level. And when I, when I, worship, I was worshiping this morning, I was like, Lord, I really, I don't know that I know how, I don't know that, I, that I'm even capable, but, but I want to, to really just be with you. And so I'm looking forward to uh, uh, this evening, tonight. Like Clay said, I want to encourage you to, uh, you know, you can't go to heaven if you don't come tonight. So uh, that's not in the Bible, but it, it probably should be. But uh, anyway, so I uh, would encourage you to be here. I, I believe the Lord is doing something uh, really, really special. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to turn over to the book of Matthew. Last week we, we kicked off, a, I don't know if it's a series or not, but we kicked off something, and we were talking about the kingdom of God. And uh, we may mention that you know, the Bible has a lot to say about the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, we, we give a a, a, a simple introduction to the kingdom of God, and we, we basically talked about four things. And, and those four things were we talked about the cross, we talked about the covenant, we talked about the community, and we talked about the kingdom. And we said that the cross was the entrance way into the kingdom. But God expects us to grow up. He expects us to mature. So, you know, it's not enough to repent of our sins and remain a baby Christian, right? It's not enough for us to repent of our sins and remain entry-level Christians. God expects more out of us. The Bible teaches us to add to our faith. But we also said that the cross leads to the covenant, more specifically covenant relationships, and, and covenant relationships are important because it is impossible to grow to a place of pure, complete, total 
spiritual maturity, and it's impossible for you to be able to reach your full potential in God if you are not involved in covenant relationships. God has a million different ways that he can bless you, but nine times out of ten, he's going to use a person to do that. And it's important that we are in healthy uh, covenant relationships with other people because it actually makes us better. We are better together. That's, that's important. Two heads are better than one, even if both of them are empty. And, and so the Bible says iron sharpens iron, and, and so another man sharpens another man. So having that kind of accountability, having that kind of healthy relationship, uh, it provides fruitfulness. The Bible says two are better than one, for they have a good re- reward for their labor. And it also produces fellowship. You know, there's over 51 others written in the New Testament. And I want you to know something. You cannot fulfill the one another's by yourself. I know that's really deep right there. But, 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 but your spiritual life is incomplete outside the context of relationships. And a lot of times what happens, we come to church and we're just one person in the crowd. And we never move on into a, a place of relationship. Then we said that the, the covenant leads to the community. We said the church is the community of God. And, and not just a church, a local church, but the church globally. And the kingdom of God is big, bigger than any one church. And the kingdom of God is actually bigger than all of the churches combined. And, and, and the covenant leads to the community, the community leads to the kingdom, and we said if we fail to see the kingdom, we will digress and ultimately revert back into something that's smaller than what God intends for us to be. Everything that is healthy flows into something that's greater than itself. You know, I've been around the world and I found out that, that, that the entire population consists of other people than myself. That was another deep thought right there as well, right? But here's the thing. When we fail to see the kingdom, we think everything revolves around us. We think the church exists for us. We think that that other people exist for us. And so our mindset is we become a consumer, and then we come to church based upon what the church has to offer us versus what we have to offer the church. And so we, we have to be able to see the kingdom. And so that, that was the introduction to that. And today I want to talk about the priority of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter number 7, we'll start reading at verse number 24. If you're there, say amen. Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or else he would be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will wear or put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lily of the valleys, how they grow, and how they neither torn nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together uh, as your church. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the message of the gospel. We thank you for the revelation of the kingdom of God. Now, Lord, I pray that you would cause this word that we are about to share to explode in our spirits and that, Lord, we would be able to receive revelation knowledge in our heart and be able to take the word and apply it to our life. Lord, you said the kingdom of God and his righteousness should be top priority, that it should be first, that we should seek it above and pursue it more than any other thing that is uh, in, in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that if we do not have proper priorities, that you'd reveal that to us, that you would help us to bring into order, into alignment, our lives, every aspect of our life, so that, Lord, that we would make the things that are top priority to you top priority to us. And everybody said, Amen. So... What I want to talk about this morning is the priority of the kingdom. But before we uh, introduce what the priority of the kingdom really is, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is a kingdom? Uh, A kingdom is, is not a democracy. A kingdom is a theocracy. It's a theocracy where the king is sovereign over everything. The king is sovereign over everything that's in the land, and the king is sovereign over the people that dwell in the land. A kingdom is a theocracy. It's not political. It's not institutional. There's no Republicans. There's no Democrats. The kingdom is not a democracy. The kingdom is a theocracy. A democracy is a form of self-government where the leaders are elected by the people. So what constitutes a kingdom? Or, or in other words, what what makes up a kingdom. Now, this first point's really, really deep. The first thing, and obviously, a kingdom has a king. Not only does a kingdom have a king, it has a domain, or it has a territory in which the king rules. Not only does it have a domain or a territory that the king rules, it also has a constitution or a covenant. A kingdom also has a government in which it enforces and carries out the laws that are written in the constitution or written in the covenant. A kingdom also has citizens. And in the kingdom of God, there's only one king and the rest of those that are a part of that kingdom are servants. I know there's a lot of people that are shocked to, to hear that there's only one king. And that, name, and that king, his name is Jesus. Because I know a lot of folk in church that think that they are the king and everybody else is supposed to serve them. And, and so in the kingdom of God, there, there's only one king and the rest of us that are citizens of that kingdom are actually servants. So that, that's what a, constitutes a kingdom. That's what makes up a kingdom. So what does the role does the church play in the kingdom? The church is not 
the kingdom. It's a part of the kingdom, but it's, it's not the kingdom. So what is the church? Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he said, I say to you that you're, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the word uh, for church in the Greek language in this particular scripture is the word ekklesia. It, uh, it's also where we get the word or the term that relates to the Roman, to the Roman Senate. Now, what we need to understand when we're talking about the, king, uh, the kingdom is the kingdom, number one, has a king. It has a territory in which the king rules. It has a constitution or a covenant that includes laws and rules that are enforced and carried out by an appointed cabinet that is called the church. So that, that's what the kingdom is, okay? The kingdom is, 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 is greater than the church. The church has a role in the kingdom. And the Bible says that, that you were not voted in to be part of this kingdom. Nobody voted Jesus into becoming king, right? You know, it's like trying to say making Jesus your Lord and Savior. Listen, Jesus was Lord and Savior long before you made him Lord and Savior of your life. Now, the only thing you can do to a king is surrender your life. Now, you determine whether he's Lord and Savior of your life by the way that you live your life. And he says, this is how you know if Jesus is Lord and Savior is that you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, above and beyond every other thing in your life. And, and so th that just kind of gives us a, a little bit of a background concerning a, a kingdom. And so Jesus, all throughout Scripture, uh, begins to continually reveal the different aspects or elements of the kingdom of God. But before he goes into great detail, he establishes that the kingdom of God must be top priority in our life. So, uh, before I go into any of the points, I want to give you a, a, a definition, a, a, a working definition, if you can put that up, of what a kingdom is. Now, I want you to listen to this. This is, this is really, really awesome. For the purpose of, of giving us a working definition, a kingdom can be defined as the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, purpose, and intent, producing a culture, values, morals, and lifestyle that reflect the king's desire and nature for his citizens. Now, I want you to, to try to get that down, write it down, get a tattoo on your forehead, because when we're talking about the kingdom, God wants to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And the way that he brings the kingdom of heaven on earth is through the church. The Bible says that the kingdom is, of, is not with observation. In other words, the kingdom is not way out there somewhere. It's not in space. It, it's not even in a place of time. The kingdom is eternal. And the Bible says that the kingdom of God is within you. So whether the kingdom of God comes to earth or not is going to be because we have been a vessel in which the kingdom of God can flow from heaven and earth too. Are, are you with me on that? If you are born again, the kingdom of God is already in you. 
the purpose, the destiny, uh, the, the, the eternal reason of why you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's already on the inside of you. Everything that you're going to do for God in your life is already inside of you. It's just in seed form. And you need the church in order to help develop it and bring that potential and that purpose out of you. The kingdom is not with observation. It's not in some distant land. The kingdom is within you. In other words, there's a little bit of heaven living on the inside of you. I tell Rachel all the time, I said, I can fight hell all day long as long as I can come home to a little bit of heaven. And that's what God wants your home to be like. God wants your home to be a little bit of heaven. God wants your workplace to be a little bit of heaven. God wants your relationships to be a little bit of heaven. God wants the community to be a little bit of heaven. God wants this nation to be a little bit of heaven. And so heaven lives in you. And for, in, in order for heaven to come to earth, it has to have a vessel in which it can, be, it can channel through and flow through into and out of our lives. Amen? So, so that's just the definition of that. Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven over and over and over and over again. But before he goes into detail, he says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, I want to establish something. Before we go into detail, describing what the kingdom of God is like and, and, and how we should pray uh, your kingdom come and your will be done. Before he talks about the fullness of the kingdom and, and God's will for for man and God's will for, uh, for, for earth and what God's will is for our lives. He says, it has to be established, pursuing and seeking first above everything else must be the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, I want to give you three things this morning concerning the priority of the kingdom. The first thing I want to talk about, this is in your outline, the first thing I want to talk about is the pursuit of the wrong priorities. It's important for you to know that your priorities control, consume, and dominate every single area of your life. All of us have priorities whether we realize it or not. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have the right priorities. All of us are deeply committed to something. Listen, I am in a deeply committed relationship with the air conditioner. And I am not going to give it up for you or nobody else. I am seriously committed. Listen, air conditioning is a high priority in my life. And so I'm going to make sure that it's good and cool. You might freeze to death if you come into my office or you ride with me somewhere. But listen, listen, having good air conditioning, good AC is a high priority for me personally. Doesn't mean that that's the right priority. I'm just saying it's a priority because everywhere I go, I make sure it's on full blast. Amen? But your priorities... Uh, consume, control, and dominate every single area of your life. Now, there was a study done recently, listen to this, uh, in order to discover what things motivate human behavior more than anything else. And this study concluded that all of human behavior is driven by the same basic needs. In other words, everything that we do, the thing that consumes us, the things that dominate us, the things that control us, that everything that, that, that determines and drives human behavior can be broken down 
into some simple, basic needs. And he said, this is what the needs are. Uh, everybody needs water, right? You know, water is a need. It's not a want. Water is, is a need. You know, your body is made up of over 75% water. We can't live without water. Water's important, right? It's a need. Uh, food was another one. Clothing was another one. Shelter, security, protection, and significance. In, in other words, you can, you can sum up all of the needs or all of the things that drive human behavior as one thing, and that is the things that drive human behavior, listen to this, more than anything else are simply a matter of survival. In other words, the things that dominate, the reason we do what we do, what motivates our behavior, what causes us to wake up in the morning and work all day and all night the, the, and, and then go to bed, sleep for a few hours. The things that, that drive us throughout the days and weeks and months and years are things that we think we have to have simply to survive. Now, what a tragedy that we spend our whole life pursuing things that help us just to survive. Listen, God has a greater purpose for your life than just surviving. God never intended you to live your life so that you would spend your time, your money, your resources, invest your life in living a life that is only uh, on the level of surviving. God doesn't want you to survive. He wants you to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Listen, there is no lack in the kingdom of God except in obedience and in honor. Listen, there's no lack of water in heaven. There's no lack of food in in heaven. There's no lack of resources in heaven. There's no lack of finances in heaven. But here's the thing. We do all that we do. What drives and motivates our behavior is because we have a survival mentality. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he said, I come that you may survive and survive more abundantly. He said, I come that you may cope and cope more abundantly. I come that you might exist and exist more abundantly. Now, that's not what he said. He said, I come that you may have life and life abundantly. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that word abundance doesn't necessarily mean all good things. You know, the word abundance actually means a whole lot of it. He said, I come that you may have life and a whole lot of it. You know, it rains on the just and the unjust. And so when this study was completed, it, it found out that, that, that human behavior is driven by these simple basic needs. So what we're doing is we're just simply living our lives trying to get by. Now, I'm not trying to preach a message on the prosperity gospel. I'm not preaching about making money. I'm not preaching about materialistic things. I can tell you this much, the most important things in life, money cannot buy. And so in America, we're so materialistic, we, we think that, that making money is top priority. Or at least it should be a priority. So we, we move from not just pursuing needs, we move to pursuing 
wants. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we have resources, and God expects us to be good stewards of those resources. And if we are wasteful, then we're going to actually lose what we have. And so we have to be smart about that. But, but God doesn't want you to live your life and spend your entire life to retire so that you can have a retirement or a 401k, and I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but I'm just telling you right now, you can't retire on Jesus. Some people got saved and immediately retired. And again, I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but that cannot be the reason why you do what you do. It's kind of like the rapture. I'm, I'm, I've got, I feel a Star Trek anointing right now. I'm going to go where no man has gone Anyways, but it's like, you know, do I believe in the rapture? Yes. I believe in a rapture. Do I know when the rapture is going to happen? No. Do you? No. Does anybody? No. Just Jesus. But the problem with this uh, pre-tribulation rapture mentality is that the majority of people in the church are not living for purpose. They're living to escape the tribulation. When they're not really living, they're just holding on to Jesus comes back. I have a problem with that. I mean, what commander-in-chief can work with the army that's just looking to retreat in time of war? Now, I hope the pre-tribulation rapture happens. I'm just not convinced that it will. I, I don't know about whether it will be a mid-tribulation rapture. I don't know if it's going to be a post-tribulation rapture. But I can tell you right now, I'm living my life right now as if I'm going to have to go through the great tribulation. Why? Because I'm not looking to retreat. I'm not looking to escape hard times. I'm not looking to, to just hold on to Jesus comes back. I want to fulfill God's purpose. I want to see his kingdom come and his will be done. He's only given me an allotted amount of time to live here on earth, and I want my life to count for Jesus. And so, I'm not going to live my life. Now, don't get me wrong, with five children... It costs a lot of money to survive. But to be honest with you, and I'll tell you the truth, I've got more now than I've ever had in my entire life, but my life is not about what I have. My life is about who I have. Because I can promise you, when you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. Now, don't get me wrong. I got responsibilities i got to make sure I, you know, that I take care of my family. You know, the Bible says that a man that doesn't take care of his household is worse than an unbeliever. He's denied the faith. Now, I'm not, I'm not disregarding all these things, but I'm talking about the thing that consumes, controls, and dominates. Those things are your priorities. I don't know what they are for you, but for the average person and most people on planet Earth, they live their lives to simply survive. So it's amazing that when you read Matthew chapter 6, Jesus addresses your motivation for living. He addresses your priorities. And he says the exact opposite thing 
concerning the things that you worry about. We just got through reading in verses 25 through 27. Over and over again, Jesus talks about, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Don't worry. If we prayed as much as we worried, you know what? We would be some serious prayer warriors. But what are we not supposed to worry about? Let's read what he says here in verses 25 through 27. I think I made a slide. Let's read this. Listen to what Jesus says. You know, the things that motivate human behavior should not be the things that you think you need just to survive. Listen to what he says here. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Notice what he says here. What you will eat or drink. What, what's the, what's the, the, the order in which uh, most people uh, that dominate the life? Water, food. He says, don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about water and food. Then he addresses the clothing. Don't worry about your body, what you will wear. Is your life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Jesus says the exact opposite thing that most of us are consumed by and pursuing as top priority, and that is to make money and survive. Jesus said your priorities are wrong. He said that that shouldn't be the, the chief motivation in your life, whether you're rich or poor. You don't have to be rich to be materialistic. You don't have to be rich to be worldly. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, when, when, when we build a house, I told Rachel, I said, you know what? I don't mind having a house. I just don't want a house to have me. When we built this church, we bought this property. I said, you know what? I, I don't mind to have a church building. I just don't want the church building to have me. For what good is a building or a house if you are constantly worrying about whether you can pay the mortgage? Amen. And, and, and so he says over and over again, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Now listen to what this word worry means. I, I, I love this. Some, some of you, this is, this is God's word for you. Some of you, you are chronic worriers. You worry about everything. Minor things. You can make a mountain out of a mohill. Listen. But the word worry means to consume in thought, to establish as our first interest, mental preoccupation, fretting, fear of the unknown, and listen to this, and to rehearse a future over which we have no control. It's quiet up in here. Now, how many be honest and say, I do that sometimes? How many say, I do that more than a sometimes? How many says, I do that all the time? Well, I mean, I think that's why Jesus repeats himself in these verses, and he says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. He said, you would worry less if your priorities were in the right place. Amen? I told you it was a good word this morning. I ain't done yet. 
And so what Jesus is saying is the basic needs that are controlling, consuming, and dominating your life should not be your top priority or your primary motivator for everything that you do. And here's the truth. If you are a constant worrier, it is a sure that that is a reflection of wrong priorities. I'm going to break it down. So, Jesus places this emphasis on the principle of priority. Now, why does he say this before he goes into any kind of detailed instruction or any details about the kingdom of God? Because most people are driven by the wrong priorities. Listen to this. Having the wrong priorities will always lead to the abuse of time energy, and resources. Having the wrong priorities will ultimately, over time, lead to the forfeiture of your purpose and destiny because you weren't created to survive. He said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're good and not evil to give you a hope and a future. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and ordained you that you would bear much fruit and that your fruit would remain. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. He says, I will order your steps. I will direct your paths. I will establish your thoughts. I will be ultimately involved in every single detail of your life because I put a lot of thought and intent to creating you before you were born. Why do you worry? Do you think the things that, that, that come up in your life surprise God? That he wakes up from a sleep and go, how did this happen? And listen, storms are inevitable. They're going to come. And that's why Jesus talked about building your house on the rock and not building it on the sand. He said, listen, a wise man is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. And he says, he who hears my words and puts them into practice will be blessed because he built his house on the rock. And when the storms came and the winds blew and, and the floods came, he said the house was able to stand. But he who hears my words and does not do them is like a man who builds his house on the sand. And when the winds come and the rain comes and the wind blows and, and the storms rage, he says, you know what? Great is the destruction of the fall of that house. Listen, the storm came on the house built on the rock and the storm came on the house built on the sand. But the purpose of the storm is to reveal the foundation. And if you do not have proper priorities, you have no foundation to stand. That's why you worry. We just got through singing that song. Faithful you are. Faithful you will be. I rest in your promises. My confidence is in your faithfulness. And if you had a track record in your life, if you kept note of the faithfulness of God up to this point in your life, you would be asking yourself right now, why am I fretting over this? Why, have I had, why do I have this preoccupation over this particular thing Worrying about it because I also had a time in my life years back when I thought I wasn't going to make it through and look where I'm at today. 
You got to be able to have a track record with God based upon the proper foundation. God, God's got this thing. He's not worrying. He's not fretting. He has a plan. And here's the thing. Sometimes God calms the storm in your life, and sometimes God calms his child in the midst of the storm. Either way, it's going to be all right. Look at your neighbor and just tell them, it's going to be all right. So the question is, are you pursuing the wrong priorities? Ask yourself, what controls, consumes, and dominates your behavior? It's important because he said, you know what? There has to be the principle of proper priority in your life. Otherwise, you're going to continue to be affected by things that you should just shake off. Here's the second thing. Second thing is the power of right priorities. The power of right priorities. He says in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and as a result of that, here's the benefit. All these other things will be added unto you. What are those other things? Those things that he just got through listing in verses 24 through 32. Why do you worry about something to eat? Why do you worry about something to drink? Why do you worry about something to wear? Why do you worry? Why do you worry? Why do you worry? If you'll do this, it's going to be all right. I got a good deal for you. If you will put me first in your life, you won't have to worry about those things. Listen, you know what? You, I've already put that to the test. I'm not preaching from a place of theory this morning. There's no way you can tell me or talk me out of the fact that I know that Matthew 6.33 is true. I put it to the test. When me and Rachel, when I first met Rachel... I had been involved in, in a relationship that uh, God said that I didn't, did, not, did not need to be a, a, a part of. I had uh, failed miserably in that relationship. And I made the mistake of saying to God, All right, God, I won't date anybody until you tell me it's okay. Now, don't pray those kinds of prayers you really don't mean or know that you can handle that just because you think it's the right thing to do or out of a religious zeal. Because I didn't know that God was going to put me to the test. Now, I went for, you know, two years, three years, something like that before I, I dated anybody. And some of you guys are saying, well, listen, I'm still believing for a man. I need a man. No, no, you need God. And God will give you the man or the woman that you need. And so... You know, I'm sitting here, and then all of a sudden, I say this all the time. It's a true story, but I may uh, exaggerate a little bit. But, but Rachel, she started coming to the church where I was at. God's called me here. And you go to you that know Rachel, know that she's godly. But anyways, she liked me. And I can't blame her. And so, you know how there's people in the church, they always want to try to fix you up and stuff. Don't do that. You know, marriages are God's idea, not yours. Second most important decision of your life. Anyways. And so, she got to the point where finally, she asked me out on the date. 
And you know what I said to her? No. Now, I felt bad after that because, you know, I, 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 I didn't want her to think that I was one of these holier-than-thou people that thought that she wasn't holy enough or pretty enough or, or, or godly enough or good enough for me. But, you know, she was persistent, and I can't blame her. But she asked me out again, and I said, no. And I really felt bad after that, so I told her, I said, here's the thing. I said, I don't want you to think that I'm saying no because I don't think you're pretty enough or good enough or godly enough or holy enough for me. I said, it's got nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. Now, you know what? You may trust me, but I don't trust me. And I told God that I wouldn't date anybody or do anything with anybody, hold hands, kiss, do nothing until he said it was all right. And he's not told me that this is all right. So therefore, I have to say no. Well, I think that made her like me more. But there come a time in my life when I was super lonely, you know. You know, I, I, you know people didn't make me feel like that I was a, a, a third wheel or whatever. But you know what? It felt like everybody in the church that I was in is getting married. I was the only single person in the church, which wasn't true. It just felt like it. And, and so I was thinking, man, Jesus is going to come back before I can get married. But my point in telling you that story, you know, is that on September the 9th of this year... I'll be married to Rachel for 18 years, and I don't know how many people you know that has looked the right thing in the eye and told them no twice and still be married to them 18 years later. That was a big spiritual moment for me because I, I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a wife. I wanted to have a family. And the next thing that happened, okay, I got married. I thought, at least I got married before Jesus came back. Well, the next thing was, you know what? Pfft, Jesus is going to come back before I have children. And then Jessa was born. And then Leah was born. And then Bella was born. And then Josiah was born. And then Joan was born. I'm thinking, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But my, but my point in saying all those things is, you know what? That was a very important thing in my life that I was willing to say no to and be obedient to what I felt like God was saying to me that my, that my priority needed to be Him because He was the lover of my soul and nobody could love me the way that He loved me and I wouldn't create it for any other thing other than to be loved by God and to love God. And when I put God first and when I made God top priority in my life, all those other things that I wanted, I felt like that I needed, they were added. So again, I'm not preaching from a place of of theory here. I put it into practice and I challenge you to do the same thing. It's a matter of priority. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's worth it. But anyways, the power of priorities. The word priority, listen, is defined as the principal thing. Primary focus. The establishment of what's most important. Placing in order of importance. The place of highest value and worth. First among all things. I think it's important 
to overstate stuff. Because it's priority. And so what Jesus is saying in verse 33, or verses 24 through 33, is that, listen, having the right priorities in your life is far more important than having water to drink. And some of you are thinking, that don't sound right. Well, I didn't say it. What part of the Bible do you disagree with? He said, having right priorities are more important than having water to drink, food to eat, clothes to wear, security, protection, and significance. Because what he's saying is, if you'll do Matthew 6, 33, all those other things you think you have that are viewed as needs will automatically come because you have your priorities right. All these other things. What are the other things in your life you are looking for to come to pass that have not yet happened yet? Listen, a delay is not a denial. You know, we're not created to worry yourself to death over the things that we think that we are need. And so, when you seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, he said all these other things shall be added unto you. Now listen, I'm about to wrap it up. When you put God first, listen, this is good. When you put God first, you will start to see his will, his purpose, his intent, and his desire begin to manifest in your life. Why is that true? How do I know that's true? Because the governing influence of the king and the resources available in the kingdom now become accessible to us Because we've got proper priorities. Now that's good, right? That's worth you coming this morning. And so, how do I know that's true? Because the constitution of the kingdom says, why worry about water, about food, about clothing, uh, about this? About that. The Constitution says when you come into proper alignment and you have the right priorities, the Constitution says the governing influence of the king, the laws, the rules, and everything that's written in the Constitution begins to impact your life, but only when your priorities are right. Having the right priorities are powerful because when you Make what God says is most important, top priority in your life. It will ultimately end up benefiting you whether you realize it right now or not. I didn't think that not allowing myself to be in a relationship was a good thing at the time. But the Bible also says that he that finds a wife has found a good thing. And so, when you put God as top priority and you seek God first above everything else, you don't have to start searching for the things you think you need. The things you need will start coming and asking you out on a date. You know that was good right there. I stopped pursuing relationship. God gave me the relationship that I need. 
when you start putting God as priority, the things that you are spending all your life worrying about, working for, that's controlling, consuming, and dominating you, you don't have to look for those things anymore. Sooner or later, those things will start come looking for you. Man, that's good right there. I told you I had a good word. I'm finishing up. They can come to music. Here's the last thing. So we see the The, the, the pursuing of wrong priorities. We see the power of right priorities. Now listen, third thing is the protocol of God's priorities. This is his final instruction. He says, look, seek first the kingdom of God, but he doesn't stop there, and his righteousness, and all the other things shall be added unto you. So Jesus is saying, not only seek God first, Seek his righteousness. Now, what in the world does that mean? Listen to me. The word righteousness means to be in right position. Okay? To be righteous means to be in proper alignment and in right standing with ruling authority. And so to seek the kingdom of God in his righteousness, listen to me, means to continually pursue being aligned in right relationship with the king, and as a result, we qualify to receive the governmental privileges found in the Constitution. Probably a lot of you don't even know what's available for you in this. Or you would be getting excited right now. All you've got to do is to come into right alignment with proper authority. All you have to do is continually pursue being in right relationship with the king. And you automatically, because of the way the protocol is set out in the word, because if you seek him first... All the other things will be added unto you. All you've got to do is simply do this one thing. Put him first. Put him first. Seek him first. Not just that, but his righteousness. Longingly, passionately, wholeheartedly seeking after God. The Bible says you shall seek me and find me when you search for me. With all of your heart, you weren't created to be half-hearted. If you're bored with God, it's because your heart's not in the right place. If you've never stood in awe of Jesus, you've never met Him. If you've never met Him, then you know what? You've never truly been changed. You've just kind of been conditioned to religion. But he didn't come to establish a religion. He came to establish a kingdom. So this is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, all these other things. Now think about the governmental privileges that are available in the Constitution. He said, all. I wonder what the word all means in the Greek. Some. Because God's going to hold out on you. 
Because he's not really good. If he really loved you, then why would he hold this back from you? Isn't that what the devil told Adam and Eve in the garden? What, what they actually did, what Satan actually did was he caused Adam and Eve to question God's character. At some point in time, they stopped believing God was good. They stopped seeing God as a giver. And they saw God as a taker. And so they forgot about all of the other trees that were in the garden that God had provided for them. And they focused on the one thing that they thought they needed. It's just like the prodigal son. He knew that he was the king's kid. He knew that he had inheritance. He deserved it. So he goes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance. His father gives it to him. Why? Because he's a son. But here's, here, here's something that I've learned to be true. The right thing at the wrong time is still wrong. The right thing at the wrong time is still wrong. So he took his inheritance and we know what he did with it. Why? He wasted it. But finally he come to his senses. He come back to his father. He went to his father the first time saying, Give me, give me, give me, give me. And the more he got what he wanted, the less he wanted what he got. But he came back a totally different man. He left saying, give me, give me, give me. He came back saying, make me, make me, make me. And some of you, 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 you are pursuing some things right now that... Just because it hasn't happened yet and on your terms and in your timing, you've been disappointed and even to the point offended and questioned whether God is good or not. And I'm telling you right now, from personal experience, God is good. If He doesn't do another thing for me, He's still good. Because I didn't come to God for governmental privileges. I didn't come to God for what He could do for me other than salvation. If all He did for me was die on the cross, it was enough. Because I'm living my life not to make money, I'm living my life not to have a big bank account. I'm living my life not, not to keep up with the Joneses. I'm living my life so that one day I might see the one. I'm living for one thing. Not just one thing. I'm living for one person. And I hope all y'all make it. But when I get there, I ain't looking for you. Maybe later. But I'm looking for the one. I want to look. I want to see with my own. This is not religion for me. I don't do this for a career. This is not. I didn't sign up so that you could look at me and clap. And, and I could be in full-time ministry and blah, 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 blah. I, no. I don't do this to earn a living. I do this for the one. Paul said, everything I do, I do for the sake of the name. 
everything I do, I do for the sake of the name. And he says, if you'll put me first, if you'll seek me most, if I'll be top priority in your life, then the promise will include all your mental, physical, social, psychological, and financial needs. That's what he listed in verses 24 through 27. He said, but you can't serve two masters. You either love one or hate the other. He said, but not only will I meet those needs, I will meet your spiritual needs, and I will give you self-value, worth, purpose, destiny, and I will give meaning to your life. In other words, if you put me first, keep me first, continue to seek me most above everything else, I will add every single thing you need in your life. How could we not look at him and say, you're a good God. You are good. Stand with me. I'm wrapping it up. I really prayed about this altar call because I'm terrible at making altar calls. I really am. But when I preach, I tell Clay all the time, when I preach, I preach for a verdict. I want to put a demand on your faith because you don't grow in times of comfort and convenience. You grow when your faith is challenged and it requires you to take a risk and even sacrifice. You, can't, you don't grow in any other environment. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? Does he sit on the throne of your heart? Do you continually pursue above everything else being in right relationship with the king on a daily basis? Now, I'm not talking about trying to earn your salvation or to try to earn God's acceptance or approval. I'm talking about priorities. We know God loves us. He demonstrated his love for us. But I'm talking about priorities. When you look at your life, is he really the Lord of your life? Is your relationship with God where it needs to be? Every day, do you look for, for God's will? Do you want to do God's will? Do you want to fulfill God's work and calling on your life? Is is he the top priority in your life? Listen, if Jesus is not king of your heart, he'll never be king in your life. Everything else flows out of that relationship with him. Now, here's another question. Are you pursuing the wrong priorities? And as a result, you're constantly worrying about the most basic needs when your Father in heaven already knows what they are. Well, maybe you have the right priorities, but your priorities are out of order. And God's saying to you, you need to realign some of the areas in your life so that the governing influence, His will, His purpose, His intent, can impact your life in a way that He desires it to do. Now, here's what the Scripture says. Romans 14, 17. This is a good evaluation. We're going to pray. Romans 14, 17 says... The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
So, if there is a lack of peace in your life, in any area of your life, it's only because that part of your life is not under the king's rule. If you lack joy, in his presence is fullness of joy. If you lack joy, it's only because there's an area of your life that is not under the influence of the king's rule. If you're not experiencing God's presence, and again, I'm not saying that you should constantly be bouncing off the walls and floating around and, and, and having all this and that going on. You know, I'm just saying, if you're dry, if you were desperate, if you're backslidden, if you're lukewarm, if you're not where you need to be, it's because there's a part of your life just not been brought under the king's rule. So let me ask you, what area of your life is not under the king's rule? This is just a general altar call, but you know what area of your life that this word applies for. So as they sing and as they play, let's come and let's say, Lord, you're the king. And I come today and I want to lay my entire life and place it under your rule. I want you to be Lord. I want you to be Savior. I want you to be Redeemer. I want you to be my peace. I want you to be my joy. I want you to be everything that I'm lacking. And help me to rearrange whatever I need to rearrange in my life in order to make your kingdom first. And I promise you, if you do that, either the Bible's true or it's not, you'll start seeing things happen in your life. It may not happen overnight. God's faithful. Amen. Won't you come? Father, thank you. I pray, God, as those that come, as they respond, that you begin to establish your rule and reign in their life. I pray, God, that you would just bring the fullness of what's been held back. Lord, there's those that are needing breakthrough. There's those that are needing encouragement. There's those that once had hope. Those that once at one time believed that, 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 that you were going to move. But Lord, there's, there's been a delay or there's been something that's happened that's blocked that. Let them know you're here today to minister to them in Jesus' name. Jesus' name.